Father, Jesus, God, I lift up this brother. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill him, not just to his neck or his mouth, but that it would be overflowing, that his cup would be full and runneth over. And that's a great image. But Father God, I've heard where we take the cup and knock the bottom out of it and submerge it in the Holy Spirit and let you flow through us limitlessly and endless. So Father God, that's what I pray for my brother Terry today, that he would be that conduit, he would be that living water that just flows from him and fills our hearts, our minds, and our soul with your word and with your truth. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Justin, so very much. I was told that last week the, uh, the microphone that I'm using acted up. So just in case it does that again today, I have a spare. <laughs> and that was so that the uh, gentleman in the sound room knew that while the stand went, I'm still good. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. This morning we're going to be in the first chapter of Thessalonians as uh, the people of Thessalonica, to whom Paul originally wrote these words, lived in a time and a culture not a whole lot unlike our own. As men and women seeking to live out a Christ-like life, they often experienced troubles and trials and things that just weren't going their way, tribulations. It, it wasn't easy for them to live a life of authentic faith. It wasn't any more easy for them than it is for some of us in this room today. I count myself in the us in this room today. It's difficult some days. Here we see Paul's visit to Thessalonica and how he came to minister there and what his ministry looked like. Now, I know that my wife reminded me the last time you were at uh, Fairview Avenue, you spoke about discipleship. And I had you raise your hand if you've ever been discipled, and you were, percentage-wise, I was blown away how many people said they were discipled. It was fantastic. Because I'd asked that question before in other places, and the number of people that raised their hand was, at one place, there was nobody raised their hand. So you guys were really good. But right here, I want to just see how Paul came to minister there uh, in Thessalonica and what his ministry looked like a year or so after he left that city when he wrote this letter to them. And the opening chapter gives us a great look at all of that. And so I titled my message this morning, Who, Who Are These People? So let's start with reading, beginning at verse 2. 
We always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, that it being your faith. We don't need to say anything about your faith. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's pray together. Father, as you point out through the Apostle Paul, what we do, what we praise you for is the opportunity to do good work and to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring glory and honor to his name. So today, as we begin to look here at this chapter in Thessalonians, I pray that you will use me to identify the truths that I found here to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we can learn as we identify and there's, there's about four things I'm going, to tr I'm going to cover today. But the first thing I want to say is that they were delivered. We know that, uh, that the people to whom Paul was writing were delivered. That is, they were saved. They were no longer living in sin. Not because they were a part of the church at Thessalonica, but Paul specifically identifies these people as saved. In verse 9, he makes it clear that these people have a testimony of an authentic relationship with God. They, the people in Macedonia and Acacia, tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So we know what one first step was they turned to God. And it's interesting to me that we have gone out into this world and we have said that we take Jesus to the people. I hate to burst your bubble. Yes, we do that. But God is first reaching out to them. It's all initiated with God reaching to them. So if you're going to praise God for, for uh, winning souls, and, and I really hope that you do win souls, but if you're going to do that, you have to understand that God is the beginning of what you do. So they trusted God. They turned from idols. 
They served the true and living God. And there's a definitive order of events described here, starting with turning to God, then turning from idols, and then serving. And I think sometimes we get it backward. I think sometimes we like to feel as though I'm active in the church. I teach this Sunday school class. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon, whatever you call them. Uh, depends on which church you're in, the brother in Christ. You can be called elder, deacon, whatever. And, and so uh, we're serving. And we think that has a lot to do with how we are seen. Because, hey, I'm in church every Sunday. Now, I haven't been in our home church, the Antrim Church, for three weeks. I've been preaching for three weeks in a row. I, I thought nobody's going to ask me, and then three churches asked me. How about that? So I texted my pastor and said, missing, in, missing but still in action. That's what I told him. And he was glad. But sometimes I think we feel as though we come here to the church in the building, we fellowship with one another, and we do it on a regular basis, and we give of our time, and we collect boxes, which is fantastic, by the way. My Linda's been to Charlotte three different times. She's not going this year. I won't miss her. I did miss you when you went. You know that. She'd always come back and tell me what all they did down there and how they worked and what all they did. And she's not going this year, but that's okay. But we do all of this. And we think that because we're so active and we're doing all of this, all the good works, and, and I praise the Lord for these boxes. There's hundreds and even thousands of them that have, Antrim is a, is a collection place right now, and, and they, they just re, are receiving box after box after box and packaging and them up in cartons. I think that's fantastic that we do this. But that's not what it's all about. What it's all about is getting to a place where we've turned from idols, whatever those idols might be in our life, turn to God from those idols, and then we serve. Not service first, then we serve. Paul makes two things about salvation very clear in this passage. He says salvation was imparted by God. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. If you've responded positively to the invitation to receive Christ as your Savior, it's because God has chosen you. And if you see somebody in your neighborhood, you know somebody in your family that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior at this point, and they ask you, what is it that makes you look so different? Hopefully it's because they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. They don't even see you, they just see Christ in you. God is choosing them, folks. They're asking for an answer. And if you claim to have the answer, you need to share the answer. I'm not different than other people. Yes, you are. Very different than other people. God has chosen you. 
Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So my point there is God's the author and the initiator of salvation. It's God who made us aware that we were sinners. He made us aware of our sins. It's God who reaches down to us and makes us aware of his great love. It's God who opens his arms and invites us into a relationship with him. Although many people profess to seeking God, the truth is, apart from God seeking them, they'll never seek him. Apart from God seeking you, you would have never found him. You would have never known you were a sinner. You would have lived just like everybody else, and, and, or many people anyway, and said, hmm, that didn't work out as I expected because we're self-centered. Paul refers to, the, to these Thessalonian Christians as loved by God. The Greek term there usually in Scripture talks about Christ being loved by God. But he brings it down to you and me, brothers and sisters loved by God. He speaks of our gospel, the gospel of Paul, the gospel that he preached. And we don't have to guess what Paul preached to these people and to other people. If you just turn to Acts 17, don't do it now. But if you turn to Acts 17, you'll see the change that God made in Paul. And then he went out to preach. Because Paul was also known as Saul, wasn't he? And he was rotten to the core. And God came to him. God reached out to him and said, Why do you kick against the spikes? And he said, Saul said, Who are you? And at that point he said, Who are you, Lord? I want to know who this is that's going to be ruling over me. Who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am who I am. And I'm reaching out to you. We experience birth and life and resurrection because of Jesus Christ. And Paul gives all the credit for the salvation of these believers to the power of the gospel, the good news to Paul and to those believers in Thessalonica, I always have trouble saying that. Thessalonica. It's not like Chambersburg or Waynesboro. If you ever, if you ever record uh, something through Google and places like that and you say Waynesboro, it often comes back Waynesboro. I don't know why. The Google person just is not good at speaking, I guess. I don't know. But Thessalonica, the gospel wasn't just some abstract idea to them. It wasn't a theory. It wasn't a philosophy. It wasn't even a denominational theology. Go figure. I mean, I know our theology. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't associate with those who do. Oh, we should. We should be open to them. It doesn't matter what the theology is. It was, as Paul describes, everywhere in the New Testament, the power of God upon salvation. Verse 5 tells us the gospel came with words, not simply with words, but with words, nonetheless, with power, with the Holy Spirit. All the others are worthless without the Holy Spirit's involvement. 
Salvation was embraced by these Thessalonian believers. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the, the message with joy, the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In spite of suffering, which is tribulation, which is pressure, what kind of suffering did they experience? Suffering similar to what we experience and have been experiencing in our world today, in our country and in our world today. When they believed, when these people from Thessalonica believed, it resulted in the Jewish leaders in the city coming to them very unhappy about their conversion into Christianity. Some very bad characters dragged some of them before the leaders, the city officials, and punished them. Uh, how? I believe the stoning of Stephen is a good example here. And Paul was standing right there. And all Stephen did was proclaim the Lord. And he said, for, what I love about that story is, Stephen says, as they're stoning him, Lord, forgive them. That's, that's walking in relationship with, with Christ. That was real suffering that these people were going through. In fact, when you, we read through the New Testament, or you even do a study of, of the Bible itself and the first two to 300 years of Christianity, I mean, those people did not have it nearly as good as we have it. And you become aware of how much more our forefathers in the faith suffered than we've even considered. We count it as suffering sometimes if we only get two weeks vacation and the guy that's been there just a week longer than us gets three. Hello. That's not suffering. Or if we have to buy a hamburger and the guy beside me just ordered a steak. And in this world, a steak is where we're living right now financially. Steak is it's a luxury. It's like buying a couple gallons of gas. I'm going to buy a couple gallons of gas or I'm going to buy a steak. Oh, no. I think I'll get a hamburger. Sometimes I don't think that we, we, including me, don't really have any idea what it is to suffer for Jesus. But these Thessalonians suffered real, legitimate adversity, and they welcomed the message with joy. And here's my point. They received and accepted the gospel message, and God imparted to them salvation, and he initiated the saving grace in their lives. But they had to make a decision what they were going to do with that. When they recognized, did you see God gave us something he never gave any other part of his creation? Not even the angels have what God has given to us. Choice. What are you going to do with it? You can believe in him or not. The choice is up to you. Live or die. I think it's that open. Choose to live rather than die. Because when you die, you begin a whole new life when you know Jesus and you live forever. 
So there's choice there. These people suffered, and they welcomed the message, and they received and accepted the gospel message, and God saved them. Some of the Jews were persecuted and persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And some of the unbelievers beat on them and hurt them. Nowhere does this ever suggest that everyone who heard the gospel welcomed it. No one does God's word ever suggest that anyone who heard the gospel welcomed it. Doesn't say everybody received Christ, doesn't say that, but it does say that God was reaching out to them. Choice. So they were delivered. Then I'm back to this discipleship thing. I hope you can bear with me through this. They were delivered and they were discipled. First Thessalonians. 1, 5, and 6. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul and Silas and Timothy as well didn't just preach to these people. They led them to the Lord and then they didn't just move on. But they invested their lives into these people to help them to grow and to mature in their faith. They they lived among the Thessalonians. They worshiped with them. They taught them. They fellowshiped with them. And there's some uncertainty just how long Paul stayed there. But there's no uncertainty about the fact that when he was there, he was all there. So, what about here? How do you do that at Fairview Avenue Brethren in Christ Church? Do you involve yourself in new believers in such a way that they know that you are concentrating on them? I'd like to suggest that one thing, just, just one thing, this is just a suggestion, but I think we need, we as Christians need to learn to know that when we know Jesus Christ and we lead somebody else to Jesus Christ, they are our responsibility. We have to feed them. They're babes in Christ, just like we were. And I hope you're still growing. So I wonder, what do you do here? Do you have teaching opportunities on Sunday morning? Yes, I know that. We, we were here early, and you were all in Sunday school. At least a lot of you. Do you have periodic Bible studies? training in how to be a Timothy. You know who, what Timothy did? He was told, choose faithful men who will take the message out beyond you. Do you act like a Timothy and say, look, you know, let me tell you about discipleship. This is what I personally believe about discipleship. I tried to practice it. Once you choose somebody to be a disciple of yourself, that will drive you into this book. And once you've moved them from square one 
to square two, it's time for them to choose somebody because you, they are already learning. And what do we do? We bring them in, and we sit them in a class, and, and we, uh, maybe it's a Sunday school class, and I'm not, I'm not beating on, on Fairview Avenue here. I'm just saying, I see this all the time. What do we do? We put them in a Sunday school class. We start them out wherever they happen to be in the class. I mean, we're, we, we don't go back to the beginning of the class. We just say, hey, we've been in chapter 16 for three weeks. And we can't seem to get through this, but we're going to let you join us in chapter 16 of How to Live for Jesus. What? We need to take them and tell them going in, we're going to teach you what to do, and then after week one you say, oh, by the way, go find your own disciple, because I'm going to teach you step two, and then you can teach them step one, and then you can teach them step two, and, and so on. I don't know why we don't do that as the body of Christ. Paul spent time with them. Timothy sought out faithful men to help them grow in an understanding of God's word. And are, are there men's and women's ministries strong in this, in this group? Do we have programs? Do we care about our programs more than we care about people? How long has it been since there was a special month-long emphasis on just discipleship? How many new discipleship relationships have been formed here? So I ask another question. Now, I didn't ask this question the same way in, in, the, in the last couple of weeks, but I, I, this, is a, this is a sermon different than anything I've preached before. I don't want you to know that. I'm not copying something. I've never preached this sermon before. But here was a question that came to my mind, so I'm going to ask it. Just how serious is the church here in building up the love for Jesus in one another? I wrote that down, and I thought... I can't use that. That sounds like I'm beating on people. I am. It beat on me, so I thought, I'll just share it. I want to emphasize this is not merely some program or some fad. It, it's, it, it's a, this is a pattern of establishing deep understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what the cost for God was when he died Jesus died on that cross of Calvary. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Do we stop growing as a baby? The answer to that question is yes, if we're not fed. Paul wasn't embarrassed to hold himself out as a model for others. He never claimed he was perfect. He, someone asked me this morning, as, since we've been here, how have you been? I have a, we're guardians, Linda and I, of a young, uh, not a young man, he's 62 years old, and he's challenged, and uh, we've known, we knew his mother when she was still alive, and she asked us to be guardians. Every time he calls on, and, and on my phone, he says to me, 
Terry, are you behaving yourself? And that's the way he talks. And I say, David, I keep telling you that's a personal question. <laughs> and he just laughs. But I love it when somebody comes to me because I have a pushback. And someone comes to me and said, did you ever, you don't understand, Terry, how hard it is to quit smoking. You don't understand, Terry, how hard it is to quit drinking. I say, you don't understand because you don't know what's in my closet. When you tell me what's in your closet, I'll tell you what's in my closet. But I will tell you, I gave up smoking a long, 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 long time ago. Yeah, over 50 years ago. And I haven't had a drink for over 50 years. So yeah, I do understand. Okay? So those are just a couple of, of examples of, of me. I, I just say, you tell me what's in your closet, and I'll tell you what's in mine. So I just told you. You don't have to tell me yours, but that's okay. Paul wasn't embarrassed to hold himself out as a model for others to follow. He never claimed he was perfect. He never said that people should do exactly as he did. In fact, his attitude was, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. If you're in a position of Christian leadership, then you should live your life in such a way that you could issue a similar challenge to the degree that you observe Christ's likeness in me, follow my example. Only then. People should look at you and, and say, we are really looking good today. And you need to be able to say in your own mind, they must be seeing Jesus because I, I really didn't do much to look good today. That's what was happening here. Paul and Silas and Timothy attempted to live godly lives and set an example so that the Thessalonians could mimic or imitate them. That's discipleship. So, and here to me is the really neat thing. Not only were they discipled, but they were disciplers. They led people to the Lord. And I just love this part. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. I looked that up in my, our son used to work for Christian Light Bookstore when it was in business. And every time a new version of the Bible came out, Preacher's got a Bible. I got 19. I looked it up. The word everywhere is everywhere. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us? The Thessalonian Christians were discipled, and then they became disciplers. And, and it says, so you became a model to all the believers. 
Notice this in verse 6. If you have your Bible open, notice this in verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. They saw these people outside of Thessalonica saw Jesus in the people of Thessalonia. Before Twitter, before Facebook, hmm. before Fox News, CNN, no matter where you stand, they don't talk about Jesus. Oh, I posted, I reposted all these uh, cute little things, and then I started to repost some other things, and uh, they, get, they get hung up. Sometimes. They get hung up, you know why? To talk about Christ. So these people had a, a testimony that rang out, reverberated like the sound of a trumpet, that everything that, went, that they went through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, forged them as a church alive in Christ Jesus. By the way, just so you know, this is the last page, okay? If you back up to verse 3, you get a pretty good picture of the char characteristics that, that they portrayed. They were modeling for others. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor promise, uh, prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They lived for Jesus. They were known for their faith and their love and their hope, and their faith produced godly works. Their faith produced a faith that was shared everywhere, outside of their area. Their faith produced godly works, their love prompted by godly labor. Their, their hope was inspired and endured because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing, it's a D word also, they were determined. They were determined. Verse 10 speaks of the determination of these believers. It says this. You also taught people to wait for the Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They lived in such a way that they had a powerful testimony throughout the region. Their faith was personal, their faith, faith was practical, but they also knew that the best was yet to come. Seems pretty obvious from the reading of this, por this portion of First Thessalonians that they had a strong belief that Jesus was going to come back in their time. But he didn't. So I'm just saying, make sure your foundation is in Christ, on Christ. Don't be afraid to tell family and friends where your foundation is. Don't ever stop growing more and more into him.
and find somebody you can disciple in the very same manner that you're living, it's okay if they look at us. It says so right here. As long as they see Christ in us. So, if Jesus comes back today, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because when we look around here at this world that we, in, in our own country that we live in today, we think, God can't let this go on much longer. Oh, it's been a long time since the Thessalonican people shared their faith. And they said, we think he's coming back right now in our lifetime. You can be a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a great-great-grandparent, and I could go on, but why? He may still not come back, but he is coming. Someday. Sometimes we wait for things without a lot of confidence that that they'll ever come to pass, but there's a promise in this book right here. It says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So if you are living today with doubt of that, I'll do like our president. I'll give you two words. Get over it. Never mind. <laughs> that was a political statement. Don't remember just that one, okay? Live for Jesus. Shine for Jesus. Be determined to tell others about Jesus. And I am very, very serious here. If someone ever asks you, why do you do the things you do? They're looking. That's God reaching out to them saying, this is, ask this question. And when they ask you, God's reaching down to them, you reach, lift them up to him. Let's pray together. Father, the circumstances in our world today lead us to believe that Jesus is coming back any instant, any moment. Help us to continue to grow every day in him so that if he does come, we, he finds us faithful. And Lord, if he doesn't come today, if you don't come back, Lord Jesus, today, Let the world find us faithful. In our individual lives and our collective lives. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you. Knowing that the work of the cross was enough to pay the price for our sin and all our sins. Give us the strength and the power to walk as Jesus walked. Your word tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, if you claim to be a Christian, you must walk as Jesus walked. You must walk as Jesus walked. It's not an option. Help us to do just that, to bring glory and honor to your name. And Lord, I want to lift up Pastor John. You know where he is in this world today. And I just pray, God, that you'd give him safe travel in whatever part of of the world he's in right now. 
back to here to the Fairview Avenue congregation and that you would bless his service given to them through you to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.